So last week we uh, we started a break from our journey through the through the Gospels to emphasize prayer. Um, we started with Brother Nathan. He emphasized lamentation and prayer. And this week we're going to take a, a look at another aspect of prayer, which is uh, confession and prayer. The, the next two weeks are going to be followed by Brother Adam, Brother Stu, looking at different aspects of prayer as well. Um, I've been excited about this series. Um, I think prayer is something that we talk about a lot in church, but we never really dig into and take a look at what Scripture looks like and what Scripture says about prayer. So I hope you are as well. <coughs> and a few thoughts. Uh, when you think about prayer, really, what's the first thing that comes to mind? <laughs> Some of you might be, uh, well, it's that time right before I go to sleep at night when I'm laying my head on my pillow and go, you know, I need to, I hadn't prayed today, I need to say a prayer, which that's a good thing, that's a good time to pray, There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you might think it's, uh, it's that thing we do right before we eat a meal, right? Got to say a prayer, eat our meal so we can get, we can have our food blessed. And again, that's a, another good time to pray. Um, another thing that uh, um, I've noticed about prayer is uh, when you're uh, talking to your friends or you uh, you share, even on say, uh, social media, you say you share something that's uh, that's happened or that that uh, that's going on in your life, and and people say, you know, I'm sending thoughts and prayers your way, you know, I, and sometimes it's those people that you never even have thought about that would be religious. Or that would be a believer. And you go, what? What in the world? You would say prayers or send thoughts my way. And uh, what does that even mean? I want to just run and talk to those people and say, what do you mean you're going to say prayers? Well, uh, as I reflect on what prayer means to me in my life, uh, I look to the Bible. But also I've, I've heard several sermons on it. And some of my favorite preachers have formed I've influenced my thoughts on prayers, and I wanted to share those with you before we get started this morning. Um, Paul Washer, one of the preachers I, I listen to a lot, he says that, um, that prayer is telling us that knowing the character of God not only leads to rejoicing, knowing the character of God also leads to prayer. John MacArthur says that prayer is one of the very basic things about the Christian life. And also that prayer is as normal to the Christian as breathing is to the human. Alistair Begg says that because prayer is the chief expression of our relationship to God, it should exist as a fundamental part of our Christian life. Last one, Matt Chandler, he speaks about prayer by saying that prayer is about praising God and asking of God. And then prayer bounces between those two poles oftentimes leading us to confession. And that point that, that Chandler makes leads us to our focus for today on confession. Um, confession is a term that we hear in church. We talked about it this morning, right? Um, but it's also a, a, a term that, um, that might be different to whoever hears it. Right for for the Catholics who use the term confession, that's something totally different than what we talk about here at, at Redemption. The Catholics use the term confession as a sacrament that involves the priest and in teaching that confession is the means by which your sins are forgiven. 
I'm here today to tell you that, that Jesus Christ's blood is the reason why your sins are forgiven, not because you confess them to a priest. Biblical confession does not teach that confession is what forgives your sins, like what the Catholics believe. Biblical confession teaches that you are, that through your confession of your sins, your relationship with God is renewed and revitalized. Your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus, like I said. And through confession, your relationship with Christ can continue to grow. and can, You can continue to be molded more in like his image. The Bible gives us a great example of prayer and confession in the great Psalm, Psalm 51. I'm going to read that for us. We're going to look at the first six verses. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to your greatness... I'm sorry, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me no wisdom. This psalm uh, continues on be one of the, the great psalms that most of you probably could recite those verses from heart, and that's a great thing. But I want to take a deeper look at them this morning and see that David, King David here, is pouring out his confession in this prayer. Um, I didn't read the title or the, uh, the intro to that psalm, but it gives us a little bit of background that I think we need to dive into, different, dive into more. It says, for, for the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It gives us a little bit of, of background, but I think it's important to understand the entire background, take a look at, at where David is in history and, and what this looks like. At this time, King David had risen to the height of his power. Um, he, would, he was probably about middle-aged. He, uh, it was a time of year during the springtime where the soldiers would go off to war. And normally, it was expected that the, the king would lead his, his troops into battle. But David was mighty. He was... He was uh, could be considered one of the mightiest kings at the time. And he thought, you know what, this time I'm going to stay back. I'm going to stay back. I'm going to stay at the house. I'm going to let my, my mighty armies win the battle for me. They don't need me. We're big and strong. And so um, it was while he was at home that this terrible act of adultery would take place. He was, uh, one morning he went up to his rooftop and he was gazing across his kingdom and looking and he looked over to another housetop and he saw a, a woman bathing. He didn't look away. He lusted after her. He coveted her. And he found out that uh, this woman was married and he didn't even think twice about it. He, he wanted her and so therefore he sent for her 
And so he sent for her, and she did as she was told. She came to the king. And then after that time, we found out that, uh, that she became pregnant. And so King David was in a predicament. He knew he, had, he needed to do something to take care of this, so he devised a scheme. He set in motion this plan that would lead to multiple lies and other sins, and even to include murder. He brought Bathsheba's husband back from war to, to be with his wife, and that didn't work. He got him drunk to try to trick him into to doing something that he was, uh, wasn't supposed to do, but he was too, uh, he was too um, focused on his task, and he didn't, that didn't work either. So the next step, he sent Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband, to the front lines. He knew that that would be a, um, a almost a, what they call a suicide mission. So they sent him to the front lines, and of course, he was killed. Right? That was all part of David's plan, and it seemed to work. So Uriah, they brought Uriah's body back. They gave him a... a war veterans funeral and then King David did the noble thing and married his widow and so the plan seemed to be falling into place it seemed to be working in the meantime this plan uh, that, that David had it cost him that new child that child died because of all these sins but the big problem was he had gotten rid of, right? He'd gotten rid of it. He gained another wife. Everything on the outside looked good. The kingdom didn't notice anything different. Everyone could look at King David as a, as a ruler, a great ruler again. Everything was fixed, right? But God had a different plan. Just like it said in the title there, the, Nathan, the prophet Nathan um, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David on what he had done. And we could look at that, but I don't want to take time to look at that today. But it's, uh, on a side note, David confronts Nathan with a parable. Very, very interesting way to confront a king. But if you look at it, it's the same way our king Jesus confronted sinners in the New Testament as well. Very, very interesting point. But Nathan confronted David, and David's eyes were open to the sin that he had committed. He recognized what he did and, and the long, long string of sins that he put together to cover up his own actions. He couldn't live with any longer. He recognized how many people that he affected, all the sins, uh, the great scheme that he came up with that seemed to work on the outside, but it was, it was too much for him to bear as a, as a follower of God. And David knew he needed to do something. He knew he needed to confess the sins to God and renew that relationship with God. And that's where we find ourselves this morning, Psalm 51. Like I said, it's a well-known psalm. Most of you have heard it. Most of you could recite it even. But I want to take a look at it and kind of break it apart and look at three different elements that David pulls out here for confession. Element number one is, is the knowledge of our sin. The confessional element number two is knowledge of, our, of ourselves. 
And lastly, the knowledge of our God. So before we get started with uh, those elements, let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that we have a place where we can come worship freely. Lord, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. Lord, I pray that you will take this time that we study your word, that you will prick our hearts, convict us, that you will show us a, a path of of confession, and you will allow us to utilize that in our lives and grow closer to you because of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first element, like I said, is the knowledge of our sin. The word, uh, the word, or words that mean sin is is used over ten times in the entire psalm with the different meanings. But you'll see that in these first six verses, you have words, the word transgression. You have iniquity, you have sin, and you have the word evil. Those four words, I want to take a look at a little bit closer to see how, how knowing our sin can lead us to confession. In the second half of verse 1, it says, Blot out my transgression. Now, transgression is a term that is used for sin, we can really look at it, and, and it really means rebellion. Blot out my rebellion towards God. David is praying here that God, because he knows that he must confess, he knows that he's rebelled. He, uh, he must plead with God to blot out that rebellion from his life. Transgression is used again in, in verse 3, if you see it. It says, verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions. That's proving the point that, uh, that an element of confession, you must know what you're confessing, right? And David here does. He's, he's deeply acquainted with his rebellion with a statement like that. And he can't hide it any longer. I, I seem to, I, I kind of think of it like his rebellion it's like that pot on the stove that just keeps boiling and then it just boils over. He can't hold it in any longer. Another word that, uh, that these verses use is iniquity. Verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. When I see that term, I... Um, I look to the definition of it, and it's, uh, you, can, you can use a definition of wickedness or guiltiness there. And he's asking me to, he's asking the Lord to, to, to wash him thoroughly from his guiltiness, from the wickedness that he has. So he, he knows that he's rebellious, but he also knows that he's wicked. And then he's, and then, and then he's full of guilt. And those things have made him dirty. You use that term wash, right? We use that term in Disciple Me Kids. I was When I was preparing this, I was thinking, we just started, for those of y'all who aren't in there, we just started a new, um, back from the beginning in our Disciple Me class, we started right the Genesis 1-1, and we're climbing through the whole Bible, just teaching. And uh, one of the things that the that curriculum teaches, and how to teach to what is it, three-year-old to 
eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds is that sin makes your heart dirty. And they give a picture of a, a black heart in the middle of a person. And that's exactly what, what David's talking about here. As applicable as it to three-year-olds, it's applicable to everyone sitting in this room. And David is pleading with God to wash him of that dirty, dirty wickedness. We see, uh, we see iniquity again in verse 5. It says, Behold, I, brought, I was brought forth in iniquity. Here the psalmist is saying he was brought forth. And so you could look to, to find uh, commentators that would use that as an excuse for David's going, Here, I, I don't, it's not my fault I sinned. I was brought forth in that sin. The next verse isn't, and we'll discuss it in a minute, but. And in sin, my mother conceived me. See, it's not even my fault. But that's not what David's doing here. David is, is, is explaining that the wickedness in which he was born into is not something new. It's not an excuse that he can use. It's been there from time beginning with Adam and Eve. And then it's all around. And that his, his heart was never clean in the beginning. The only way his heart could get clean is through, through God and through confessing his known sins. And, the, and another word we see used for sin here is actually the word sin itself. If you go back up to verse 2, it says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The word sin here refers to a, a uh, the perfect standard that God sets forth. It's, it's a falling short of, of what God expects. And David knew that he had done that. And he knew that the only way he could get clean from that is to plead with God and to confess his sin. Sin is repeated in verse 3. It says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. His eyes had been opened to his sin. It wasn't a, it wasn't a secret. It was, he wasn't blinded from it. He knew his sin was right in front of him, and he knew he had to confess it. He could not live with it any longer. And then in verse 5 again, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now again, you could you could take that verse and you could manipulate it to to make it sound like that um, David's mother was conceived in sin. It was outside of marriage. You could you could um, you can make up a lot of different stories to make that fit to whatever you want it to mean. But right here, David is is referring to original sin passed down from generation to generation, and he knew that he could only be cleansed of that by the blood of Jesus, by God. And so he was, he was acknowledging that, that the sin was original and he was born with it, but it was no excuse for him to commit the things that he had done. He, he knew his sin deeply. And in order for us to confess biblically, we must know our sin deeply as well. Not only must... Well, let me back up. We 
we see King David, and he knew his sin. He used the, the last term that he used there is evil. And this is really a descriptor. It's not really a word to interchange with sin, but it's a descriptor. In verse 4, it says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's pointing out, he's, he's describing that there's nothing good about his sin, and he knows it. And there's nothing good about any one of our sins, and, and we should know that as well. But we see that King David knew his sin. He used four different words to describe it even. And he wanted to make sure that every aspect of his sin was covered. Whether it was the, the guiltiness, the wickedness that he, he had in his heart, whether it was the, the dirtiness from the, the sin that was uh, he committed, he knew, he knew it deeply. And he, had, he wanted to confess every part of it. And in order to know your sin like David did, you must also know, know the, your sin intimately as well. The second element is we also must know ourselves. This psalm starts out in verse 1. It says, be gracious to me, O God. Your, your version might say, um, have mercy on me. I've never heard of a, of a non-guilty person say, have mercy on me. I've never heard of a non-guilty person say, please be gracious to me. I'm not guilty, but I'm really asking for your grace here. Now, David knew he was guilty. This right here in verse 1, he, plead, he pleaded with God. He, he expressed his guilt. There was no excuse. He expressed it. It'd be like if we were in a courtroom and, and the person being tried was just saying, you got me, I'm guilty. It's a, it's a cry out from David telling us that he knows his guilt. He knew himself, he knew he was wicked, and he knew that he was guilty. <clears throat> then look again in verse 4. He cries out and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. David knew himself and knew that he had a litany of sins that he was covering up. He had affected multiple, multiple people with his sins. But he didn't call out every person here. He knew that he had offended his God. And so he knew himself enough to know that no matter how many sins affected everybody else, God was the one that mattered, and he was the one that needed, he needed to confess to. Look at verse 6 as well. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, in the inner, uh, sorry, in the hidden parts, you will make me know wisdom. He wasn't saying that he knew wisdom himself. He knew he was unwise. He, uh, he had gotten to a place in his confession where he knew that the only way that he would know wisdom was to plead to it from God, to plead and ask for God for it. 
And so he knew himself well enough, and we must know ourselves well enough to know that there's no good wisdom inside of us, and that's what these verses are telling us, that there's no truth inside of us that we can muster up to bring to God. We must confess that we are nothing in his sight. Matthew Henry explains it like this. What God requires of us, he himself must work in us. And he works, he works it in a regular way, enlightening the mind, and so gaining the will. And that's exactly what we see here through these verses. And that takes us through a, a knowledge of our sin and a knowledge of ourself. But lastly, we, we must have a knowledge in order to confess biblically, we must have a knowledge of our God. Back to first one, David appeals to God's character right here. He's uh, after his omission of guilt and, and, and asking for that mercy, or that grace, David goes on to say, according to your loving kindness, it's an appeal to God's character. Your, ver your version might say, according to your steadfast love, something along that line, those lines. He, he knew God was gracious, and that's why he pleaded to him for, for his confession. He appealed to that character of God because that's the only thing that you can cling to when you know that you're guilty. You have to cling to something that's not your own, and the only thing that we must cling to is something that's God's. David is asking for the same loving kindness that God has shown towards us as well. David appeals to that loving kindness, the same loving kindness that God has to send his son to earth to die on the cross for us. And so when, when we recognize who we are and the sin we have, the only other element that we have is to recognize who God is. And that's how we can direct our confession just like David did. Again in verse 4, just as David recognizing his sin towards God and God only, you have to look at the rest of the verse. And it says, Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He knew, he knew God and he knew what God's expectation were. And he's, he's laying it out there in front of us saying, I've done what is evil in your sight. For those of you who have kids, I've never had one of my children come up to me and say, Dad, I've done something evil. I know you do, you, you do, not, you do not want me to do those things. But here's, here we see David doing exactly that. To know, to know God so well that, that you could come to him when you are dirty and when you are wicked and when your heart's calloused to say, God, here I am. I have no excuse. 
And that's exactly what David has here for us. He goes on to say that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David knew God was, he was right and true. And he knew that, that what he had done, there was no excuse. That's why he pled for that, that loving kindness in the beginning. He knew that, that God was a just judge. And he knew that, that everything that God had spoken was true. And so he, he pled to him and said, Lord, I, I, there's nothing I can do here. And that's what our confession should look like. Lord, I'm guilty and there's nothing I can do here. David knows God so well that it allowed him to see his sin for what it was. And he does not get angry with God, as he explains in these verses. He said, God, you are justified when you speak. I can't get angry at that. You've told me. you told me the expectations. How often do we find ourselves angry with trying to live up to God's expectations for no reason? He is just. He's blameless when he, just, when he judges. And so the fact that, that David knew God and the fact that what drew him, the fact that, that David knew God is the very fact that, that David was drawn to this confession. So as we, as we look at these verses overall, I know I've kind of jumped around and I've picked through parts of them, but I think it's important to draw our attention back to the beginning where we found David in a predic uh, predicament where he had, he had covered up his sin and uh, on the outside probably things looked pretty well. You couldn't tell. But he was a child of God and he couldn't live that way. And when the Lord opened his eyes through the prophet Nathan, he knew what he had to do. When we think of King David and we think of a uh, man after God's own heart, what he's called, right? But you can only be a man after God's own heart if you know your sin and if you know yourself and if you know your great God. And that's my challenge to you this morning is that as, as we learn about confession, as we look at confession and as we look at prayer, that, that you will look at these three elements and you will, you will look to the Bible and see what they say about them and that you will use them in your, in your life as you confess to God your sins. So it could be you this morning sitting here looking fine on the outside but wearing away on the inside. I want to quickly look at verse 8 in this psalm and just show what looking on the outside versus looking at the inside really is. It says, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. So David looked great on the outside, but his bones were broken on the inside. And that could be you this morning, and I hope that it's not. But I hope that if it is, that you will 
you will know your sin and that you will know yourself and that you will know our great God and that you will confess these things. Let's pray together.